Well, hello again. Um, if you guys would stand with me for the reading of the word, I'm going to be reading the... Is that me? Um, we're going to be reading out of 1 John chapter 3 this morning. If you guys want to read along, it should pop up behind me too. 1 John chapter 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in them. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Well, good morning, church. So good to be with you. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Zach. And along with my lovely wife and team, get to lead this community. First um, John chapter three, there you go. You know, in the, in the first century, uh, we didn't, they didn't get the Bible in like the canonical way that we have it now, right? We know that. These letters were sent out by the apostles and by people who are with Jesus, who are, and they would write these letters specifically to communities, and they would basically just read out the letter as they gathered. I think for many of us, including myself, 
We don't have like the muscle or like the endurance for just like the scripture being read, you know, read aloud. Uh, there's so much in there. Well done, Rachel. So good. So we're going to go verse by verse of this chapter, and uh, it's going to take about six hours and 43 minutes. <laughs> um, but I wish I had the time to, to do that, actually. But we're just going to touch on some things. I was praying and asking God, what do you have for this community? Your scripture is so, so rich. So what would you like to share this Sunday? And so a few things were highlighted. And I also just want to kind of give um, maybe another overview of the book as we enter back into it, especially if you're just jumping in this week. So some broad strokes. And so there are some things I want us to remember or keep in mind uh, about the book of 1 John, this letter. It's also kind of like a sermon, but it's also kind of a book. It's all those things. <laughs> um, so the first thing, there's three things I want to highlight. So the first thing is, I'm asking you, who wrote the book? Who wrote this letter? John. Maybe John. Yes. Um, although in the, in the book, it's not mentioned who the author is. But traditional uh, scholarship points to the Apostle John. There's within, you know, the scholarly work of, of many, there's a debate about whether it is John the Beloved or the Apostle John or maybe someone else referred to as the elder who was in his school underneath John. But there's so much uh, similarity in the style of this letter as the Gospel of John. And so I think there's a lot of confidence. I have a lot of confidence that it is John the Apostle. And so just some few thoughts on this. John the Apostle, he comes and joins up with Jesus in his ministry when Jesus starts to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And he's, along with his brother, is called a son of thunder. Son of thunder. And so in his heart was this burning desire to see Rome raised to the ground. He wanted to fight against Rome and all of its oppression. He was a son of thunder. And in his time with Jesus, he becomes, he's transformed and converted into the apostle of love. He's literally transformed from the inside out. And so John... We know this, but it's good to remember and keep it in mind. He walked with Jesus himself for three years, right? He was face to face with him. He saw, he saw Jesus raise people from the, from the dead, right? Lazarus or the, the daughter of Jairus, just like, this girl is dead. Jesus just laid his hand on her and now she's alive again. Right, what else did John see in the, ministry, in the ministry of Jesus? Just shout it out. Healing. Yes. Deliverance. Transformation. Miracles? Yes, miracles. I'm asking you because it's just, it's awesome because this group is this size where we can do this and have a little more of a dialogue. Uh, so feel free to just like get into it in that way. I'll be asking some questions um, from time to time, but it's also to just get our, our tickers going. What did John get to witness, right? Healing, the deliverance of the demoniacs out, right? Like food being multiplied. It's like, why, how is this happening? Walking on water, showing the lordship of Jesus over nature. He's, he's an eyewitness to all these things. He also saw the transfiguration of Jesus. Saw him in his glorified form. It's amazing. He even saw Jesus when he was on the cross right? Imagine being a witness to the, the crucifixion of 
the one we call Lord. All of his dreams, all of his, all of his expectations being shattered, but there is still a trust, I'm here. I might be murdered, but I'm here. And this glorious moment when Jesus, when he's dying on the cross, looks at John and like references him, remember? And what does he do? He like commissions him to take care of his mother, Mary. And so we're talking about someone who, who knows the heart of Jesus, someone who knows the life of Jesus. He's been with Jesus and knows the values of Jesus. So track with me here. I'm, I'm moving to a point. But I'm a part of this, uh, this collective, international collective of young pastors called C-Rock. And it's basically, okay, the world is changing so rapidly and there's a reimagining and redefinition of the church model that we, that we know and rely on. And so what are we gonna do? Like what's the answer moving into the future with all of this chaos and all of these confusing, confusing conversations? And so uh, got to be a part of it from like all around North America. It's a collective that was done by John Mark Homer, if you're familiar with him, he's an author and, and pastor, and then John Tyson in Manhattan. And I love these guys. So if you're curious on where, what's getting a lot of my inspiration besides the scripture and Jesus, it's a lot of these guys. And so I got to travel to, um, to San Francisco just a couple months ago, and we got to be together and worship together and confess to each other and, and uh, share each other's burdens and, and, and just kind of be pastors together and just like, you're not alone, you know, kind of thing. And also be uh, imparted and trained by many great people. And last, the last time, um, they called in Francis Chan. He lives in San Francisco. And so he, Francis Chan's right here, and I'm just sitting right there. And it, I was like, a, like just fanboying. I was just like, that's Francis Chan. That's awesome. I love his books. Um, Forgotten God, Crazy Love, these things like so, so dear to me. And uh, so I'm listening, and the whole cohort, these are established pastors of like hundreds and hundreds of people in their churches or just church plants, um, many people like, like myself. And we are all just like glued to what Francis was saying, you know, just like, what, what's your opinion on this? And like, what's, what's your interpretation of that? And we are all just really attentive to what he was saying. I think there's, my point is there's certain people that we want to just kind of like listen to. Um, maybe, it's, maybe it's not Francis Chan or anything, that's fine. But who is it for you? You're just like, man, I wish I could just be there and just like have a dialogue and ask them questions and hear their heart and stuff like that. One more, just because I'm nerding out at this point. Uh, I used to be a missionary in, in Montana with Rachel and uh, apparently Eugene Peterson, who wrote a bunch of awesome books, especially about pastoral ministry, also interpreted the, the Bible into the message Bible, idea for idea, not word for word. It's a paraphrase, but I admire him. And I wanted to like break into his house and like just sit at his feet and like so he could teach me stuff. Um, many, many of you guys have one or two people that are like that. It's just like, I wanna spend time with this person. And so I'm belaboring the point, but this is, this is an opportunity. This is the opportunity that we have with the Apostle John. Maybe it's not in person, but his, in, in the spirit, through the Holy Spirit and through the, the word of God, we get to learn from John. And as you could tell, like, we're, not, we're not able to go like, okay, we're gonna spend this, just this whole Sunday on like one verse, because you really could. Um, we're going through the whole chapter. So I encourage you, would you read the book? Like we're doing it as a community. It's just like, let's join this book club and learn from the great Apostle John. Would you be willing to do that? Try that out? It's not that long. It's really, really worthwhile. And so 
Here, here the Apostle John is in this, in this book, and he's in his 80s, and he's pastoring and overseeing like a whole collection of churches, right? He's, he's pastoring a bunch of churches. And what does he see? He sees deception infiltrate the church. Okay, he's seeing deception and heresy come into the church. And so he writes the church in the first century here with a spirit of love. I mean, he's really actually quite mild and measured with his language. It's very pastoral. But it's also with a deep sense of concern. It's a deep sense of concern. All right. The second thing I want us to keep in mind here is this letter, as I've been kind of peppering in, it has been written to a certain context. Right? It's not just to us. It's for us, but it's not to us. And so I don't have the time. I wish I had the time to talk about all the context. But basically, Gnosticism's coming into the church. It's a heretical kind of, uh, uh, it's not the gospel. It's another gospel. And they're coming into the church and trying to say, this is the way of Jesus, but it's really not. But it's cloaked in like nice-sounding things, but it's not actually the same spirit. Martin Luther, during the Reformation, um, saw what was going on in the Catholic Church and salvation through works, indulgences, paying for your salvation, all this stuff about the Eucharist. It's like, what is going on here? And he says, this is a different spirit. Karl Karl Barth, um, during World War II, was at uh, the University of Berlin, and the Nazis demanded that all the seminarians would salute and give their allegiance to, to the Nazi regime and to Hitler. And he's like, I feel deeply uncomfortable with this. I think this is another spirit. I was at H&M the other day, and there was this, i got tons of stories for you. Uh, H&M the other day, and two people were talking, and I like, can't, I couldn't help but, I could tell that they were talking about a church, and I just, I, I'm just like, I'm just fine with like interrupting conversations apparently. And I was like, what are you guys talking about? I, I, you're talking about like a church. It's kind of like, what's, what's up? It's cool. It sounds different. And they're like, oh yeah, it was in Mexico. And they were like sacrificing animals and like did it right in front of me and all this stuff. And I was like, sounds like a different spirit. My point with this is this is sort of the thrust of First John. There's stuff going on and it seems like, okay, it seems normal like no, it doesn't seem normal at all. And so there's, John is talking about a different spirit. All right, third thing I want us to keep in mind is this book has a lot of parallels, okay? It has a lot of parallels, it has a lot of opposites, and the simplicity is very striking. Let's just go through them real quick. Christ versus Antichrist. Light versus darkness. Truth, falsehood. Righteousness, sin, the spirit of God, the spirit of the Antichrist, love of the Father, lawlessness. And so for clarity's sake, the Antichrist, it's like draped in all of this like stuff. And some of it's for good reason and some of it's like just not, nah, it's junk. But essentially, it is anything that is Antichrist, believe it or not. <laughs> so it's anything that goes against our Messiah. It's just an Antichrist. And there are different shades and different levels of this spirit. It could be a whole movement. It can be a frequency. It can be something that's been enculturated in society. It could be even like a person. Um, Pastor Rob was here last two weeks ago, uh, the funny guy. 
Um, but he was actually, he just brought a great word, and he talked about lies. And he says the best lies, you guys remember, the best lies are like majority true. It's like, let's say 80% true, and then 20% lie. It's easier to believe, but it's still not true. And so this is also what's going on in the book. You guys with me? I'm giving you kind of just, I'm flying over here. Flying over, it's good. And so we have things like progressive Christianity. I'm not saying necessarily with absolute, like all of it, but a majority of progressive Christianity is asserting, I would call, some people call it hyper grace. I don't even know if it's grace because grace already is just like limitless, right? But it's just like you could just do whatever you want. And there's that. It's just like, it's like there's liberal and then there's like, oh my gosh, like we're, we're progressive Christianity in a lot of ways is really destructive. Just talking about it. And then there's the other side, which is what I would talk about as like hard fundamentalism. It's like you... It's like the, the, the person who's just like fire and brimstone, like just I, like you're going to hell, that kind of, you know, that kind of stuff. And then everything in between, and maybe just a whole paradigm. It's not even a spectrum. There's just these things that are like kind of true, and then there's like stuff in it. It's been poisoned. You guys get what I'm saying? And so this book, um, the foundation of it, though, John is coming, coming against this assault of heresy or false teachings in the church that basically say it's okay to sin. And it's as simple as that. It's okay to sin, whether it's like the lawlessness of explicit sin, just do whatever you want, just add in Jesus, or the lawlessness of like control through religion, which is also lawlessness. Jesus actually points that out with the Pharisees. He calls it lawlessness. So there's this whole thing in that. And so... It's just, you know, I was like thinking about it. It's so easy. This is kind of heavy, so bear with me. Like this is, but it's also good. It's good. I'm bringing the gospel today and you're going to leave really blessed. Um, but like, I think, I think that sin for all of us to one degree or another can get really normalized. So like it just becomes normal to, to think you're better than somebody and sort of judge down or something like that. Or to just normalize secret sins, to normalize gossip, or like, you know what's also really, like just gets in there all the time and you don't even realize is greed. Just like greed comes in there and it's the most destructive thing. Like Jesus talks about greed a lot, right? So it's like, I'm buying this, I don't even need it, but I'm buying it. It's actually kind of, it's kind of greedy. <laughs> and it just comes in and it just kind of like messes with your heart. It, it normalizes sin. And so in the first two chapters of John, John comes in pretty hot. Like if you remember from, um, from, from Rob's teaching, like he doesn't even introduce himself. He just jumps in, which is why I think some, it's like kind of like it's a sermon in some ways. And so he's, he's like talking about all of this stuff. We cannot normalize sin. And here's, here's like just logic. If we normalize sin, it will prevent us from being changed because it's normal. So why would we want to change? So nor the normalization of, of, of sin is really, really damaging. It prevents our transformation. And we take away even the opportunity to, to be saved. This is the truth of it. If we continue in, it will harden our hearts, and we will no longer be able to access the grace of Jesus with faith, because our faith will be suffocated out by the normalization of sin. But I want to... I'm holding attention here, okay? 
So the main thing that, G, that, that John wants to bring in, I want you to hear this. His main goal in this is not to actually preach moralism, okay? He's not saying moralism is the objective. I don't know how you respond to that. It's like, oh, okay, good to know. Or maybe you're just like, exactly, I know that. The main objective is not moralism, to be more moral. The main objective is the majesty of fellowship with God and fellowship with his people and his family. And so morality is downstream from being captured and surrendered to the love of God and the love of people. And so John's not like, all right, y'all, <laughs> try harder. <laughs> like, you're a bunch of bums, just you need to be more righteous. He's not saying that. He's not saying, like, you need to, you need to muscle it and be more righteous. He's, he's quite the contrary. He's like, no, you, but it's more like beloved don't be swept away by sin. Don't let yourself be swept away by the current of our culture and by sin. Don't fall into the te temptations of deception of the world of, of the pleasure of sin or of self-righteousness because it will lead to your spiritual ruin. This is, this is the heartbeat of this book. So let's jump into a few verses here. Let's go into, man, the most glorious verse of them all. It's just verse one. And then we're also going to see how the Holy Spirit kind of leads us. Good? It's going to be good. So verse one, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. If I had it my way, I would just probably take at least 15 minutes of silence right now which a lot of us would be really, really like squirmish with that. But just to, like sit in God's presence and like allow this verse to kind of drop slowly into the corners of our heart. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. I think the first thing that the apostle wants us to consider is to remember the beauty of our salvation. To remember the beauty of our salvation. We need to remember the grandeur of our salvation. It doesn't start actually with moralism. And I don't know about you, but like that takes the load off a little bit. It's not on me to try to fix myself and just like get really righteous. And it doesn't start with judgment. And it doesn't even start with evil. He says you have to remember why your salvation is worth fighting for. He's like, his language is like, because he's kind of like straightforward and sort of pretty practical, and he's just like repeating a lot of the same things. But then he's like, kind of like, seems like he's gushing out. See what, like lavish is like this poetic language. He's like, y'all, can you see what we're caught up in? We're caught up in this, the, the grandeur and the lavish love of God. I love this word, lavished. Lavished, to bestow something in generous or extravagant quantities on to spend, to expend, to expend, to heap, to shower, to pour, give generously, bestow freely. So sort of think and like picture yourself underneath a waterfall of God's love. I think if it was like humanity's like, there's a little love. I loved you this time. That was hard. All right. Just a little wet. And now he's just like showering it. Unconditional. I know you betrayed me. I know that you hurt me. I know that you, you're, not, you're not worthy of this. 
but here's my grace. Here's my love, showering it down on you. You know, God is not stoic. Like, he's, he's not emotionally reserved. I mean, he had, probably has moments, but there's a part of God that is like, his heart is burning with love for you. He's, la- he's a lavish God. He's the, he's the father that's running down the, the road to the prodigal son. First John chapter three, and let's, let's continue here. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that, that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so in this passage, John is highlighting, I think, two elements that are fundamental for resisting sin. All right, let's just dive in here. And so the first thing I think is there's this understanding that we are born again. I don't know the last time you thought about it, like, I, I'm born again. <laughs> I'm born again. This is the doctrine of regeneration, being born again. It literally means that our dead, rebellious spirit has been made alive in Jesus. The seed of God's word inside of us can now grow, and the fruit of God's truth and character can grow through us. And so it was like we once had hearts of stone and were enemies of God. Now we are being transformed to hearts of flesh and sons and daughters of God. And so we have, this is the reason for our resistance. We've been made alive and free from its power. Honestly, I don't think that I presented that in a way that like was worthy of what happened. (laughs) Like this is incredible. Just let it sink in a little bit. I'm letting it sink in. Born again. Let's continue in verse nine here. Man, I, you know, it's so funny. Um, like, I write this stuff, and it's like, oh, yeah, this is, like, so good. <laughs> and then I'm, like, presenting it, and it's like, no, it's so much deeper than what you're able to express. My heart really is just for us to encounter Jesus. Like, I don't, I don't really want to just present some, like, theology. Like, I want us to encounter the person of Jesus, and, it's, and I think it's so easy to sort of come to church, even for myself, and I'm the pastor, and it's just like, all right, what, what, what can I get today? <laughs> and so my, my heartbeat right now is just like, would you lean in with me? Would you be looking at the verses in the scripture and like, just get into the scripture with me? Does that make sense? First John chapter three. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. So this is like a very interesting passage. And I think there's a, a, like a qualification that I want to make. Um, there's a difference between like sinning and just kind of being okay with it. And just, I'm just going to keep doing this and I don't, I don't really care that much. And then there's a difference between having like a, a sin that just continues to attack and you are hunting it down. You know what I'm saying? So this is, I think, the difference 
in this. And so I think, the, again, the invitation from John is to know that God is doing a work in you and he's made you alive. And so we need to surrender and continue to surrender to Jesus to know that he is doing a great work in us and who he's faithful to bring it to completion. Philippians chapter one, verse six confirms this. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. This is God's regenerative power in our lives. He makes us alive. You know, he could have just made you alive. Like if you put your faith in Jesus, he could have just made you alive, right? And that would have been awesome, don't you think? I'm, I was dead, and now I'm alive. But now, but not only that, he wants to bring us into his family. You know, I uh, was thinking about this this morning, and do you guys remember the story of Joseph? Yeah. If you grew up in church, you know the story. And so he's betrayed, Joseph is betrayed by his own family, by his siblings, and they put him in a pit to die. And then there's this whole like arc of, this, of the plot, his own process of spiritual formation and trust in the midst of being imprisoned and falsely accused and all this stuff. But then he stays faithful and God elevates him to like this incredible place of authority within Egypt. And he's essentially operating in this high level of royalty right next to the king. And the famine comes out and his, his brothers don't know what happened to him, and they just like know that Egypt had food. And so they come there, and they have this encounter. And fast forward, they realize it's him, and he forgives them, right? Remember that? They betrayed him, and they for, he, for, he forgives them. But not only that, he adopts them into like the royalty, this is sort of a picture, but even greater, of what Jesus has done. He's not only making you alive, giving us the food that we need to survive, Jesus himself, but like adopting us. And so this brings us to the other, the other thing that helps us resist sin, is remembering the doctrine of adoption, that we have been adopted. And so he's reminding us that we are now children of God. He's saying that we have a new identity. Praise God. God's love has lavished on you. You're, you are rescued. You're healed. You're washed, forgiven, accepted, welcomed. You have a full inheritance of the family of God. You are chosen ones. Right? You're special. God wants you. I don't know. I'm... I invite you just to bear with me. I feel like I have a lot on my heart right now. Um, I think I'm right, I'm just with you. <laughs> I'm like right there. Sometimes in the, in the past, like pastors are like the ones who, who are just have the, the authority and have everything figured out. But I need to be reminded of the acceptance of God as well you need to be reminded of the acceptance of God as well. You need to be reminded of the adoption. I know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you guys, I know your story. Many of you guys didn't grow, with, grow up with parents or good parents. And so I think there's like, a, like just a fresh revelation of the Father's acceptance over all of us. So would you just drink that in with me? 
This is the essence of our salvation. So another thing I want to highlight here, Fred Harley says this, the Hebrew word for to be holy is kadash, derived from the root word quad, which means to cut or separate. The New Testament Greek word hagios conveys the same idea. Therefore, to be holy means to separate from the common or ordinary and that you were cut off and now belong to God. In the same sense, in this sense, the opposite of being holy is not being sinful. It's being common, ordinary, secular. And so I think so often I found this quote so good because we fail to realize that this is not moralism, right? This is not, again, like not moralism about trying to make it happen on our own. This is actually about belonging. It's about belonging. It's about being chosen, about regeneration and being adopted into God's family. And so he's saying the resistance to sin is rooted in this beauty of our salvation. You know, I think if we just don't realize, I think it's so easy for, for myself too, and I'm just trying to be authentic with you, just to like take my salvation for granted. Just, we grow up Christian, we just get numb to it. It's like, cool, yeah, Christian. But if we don't think that our salvation is that great, we won't think it's worth fighting for, and we'll allow sin to compromise it. He wants us to know the divine love that's been lavished on us. You know, it reminds me of the story um, which, with the Apostle John, who at the Last Supper laid his, his head on the chest of Jesus. You guys remember that? And in this moment, he's, he's aligning himself with the heart of Jesus and the wonder of Jesus and the person of Jesus. You know, if we don't really spend time with God, especially in our culture, and lay, lay our head on his, on his chest, we will be devoured. <laughs> and so it's an invitation to do that as well. The second thing, and this one's a lot shorter, uh, that, that John wants to remind us from this passage here, is there's going to be a war for our obedience. There's going to be a war for our obedience. And this is where the heresy sneaks in. It says you can love God and experience all like the benefits of the love of God and then just allow yourself to do whatever you want and just be led by your sinful nature. And so this heresy is like, I don't really care what God says. I don't really care about, like I just want his love and he doesn't really get to speak into my behavior or what I do with my money or what I do with my sexuality or what I do with my time. So like I just enjoy God's love and then I do whatever I want. Enjoy the benefits of God, but I don't really obey him. So the Apostle Paul is like, no, this is lawlessness. This is not the way of Jesus. This is an antichrist gospel. This is an antichrist spirit. And that spirit comes into the church even now. And so it's like, whether I've kind of hashed it out already, whether it's explicit sin or religiosity, but God wants to invite us into a different way. It's a way into love and obedience. The last verse I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna do for today is 3, 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. 
All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. I'm calling my, my band here. I think what I'm wrestling with, like you can probably tell, like I'm just, I'm wrestling with some stuff here. I think if I can just confess to you, I have experienced both sides of the lawlessness. Like just relying on the religious systems for control and just being like cavalier with my heart and with sin. And I think that that is a huge issue in our church, like the church in, uh, you know, at large. There, there are like schisms happening all the time. Right? Just all this the infiltration of one side or the other. And I'm kind of heartbroken about it. And I feel sort of like I need to repent, not only for myself or for my church, but also for like just the church. We've just allowed, we've been too, just, We've been too cavalier and too casual about letting sin into our church, letting sin into our hearts. And, you know, and like, I, I love John Wesley and his em emphasis on holiness. And then I'm also like, yeah, but there's the other side. And he's like, you always have sin. And yeah, that's true. <laughs> but there is an invitation to deeper holiness, and I want it. I want it for our church. I want it for you guys. I feel like we're just like trying to like scrap our way and like just work our way. I want to see the power of God pour out. <laughs> I want to see like, I want to see our, our prayers answered. I want to see us transformed and matured. But it's hard to like be transformed and mature if we're just normalizing sin as I made that point earlier. And so it's a little messy right now, but you get the heart of what I'm saying. I care about you. I care about the church of God. And I want to, I want to step into this invitation. I want to love God. I want to love my neighbor. I'm not spectacular enough to just like do church and not, like I just, I want the real thing. And so this last verse, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. And so as we kind of shift here, I just, I felt like we could pause on this verse for a second. Um, you know, we live in Austin. There's a lot of uh, weddings here. And then if you go downtown, I've actually, I live too far away, but I hear that there's a lot of like, excuse me, like bachelorette parties and bachelor parties and all that, all that stuff. And some of them are awesome and some of them are great. And there's other ones that are just not good. You know what I'm saying? And I think... Um, there are, but there are other marriages, people who are getting, getting about to get married and they're like going through this process in the language of 1 John and they want to purify themselves. They want to work out all the time. They want to like eat really well and they just want to cleanse their life because they know that they're going to give themselves to the person that they love and they're willing to purify themselves for this marriage. And then there's the other extreme. It's like, all right, let's get all the mess in there before I get married and let's just do it. I'm like, I don't know if you really love this person if you're willing to do all, if you're gonna do all that stuff. And I feel like sometimes we can be caught up in that ourselves. Just like, a, grace. <laughs> um, 
instead of being like, oh man, I want to purify myself for the bridegroom. I want, to, I want to be ready when he comes. And the good thing is we don't do it by ourselves. We have the Holy Spirit that comes and cleanses us and we have the cross. Really, God does all the heavy lifting. It's not even the lion's share. He just does it all, <laughs> right? And so I want to be that for you guys. I want to be that for my wife and for my children for this world. So would you just enter and even take a, another step forward in just this ministry time? And allow the Holy Spirit to sift your heart. So God, I come humble. Would you purify our hearts, God? All of the mess. Would you highlight some things that we can give over to you and confess and to repent of? Lord, teach us how to be a repentant people. Help us to be a people of confession. It's a spiritual discipline that's been lost in so many ways. We thank you, Lord, that when we come and we surrender, you're faithful to purify, faithful to love. So, Lord, we just enter into this moment here to take communion. And that's what we're going to do, church. We're going to take communion together as a family. And so, Lord, would you lead us, help us learn how to put our, our head on your chest, to align our heart with your heart, God. We cannot do it on our own. So we worship you. We commune with you today. So at your leading, would you just come and partake of the elements? Take communion, remember Christ. And I'm of the belief that his, his actual presence is here. So let's do that as a church family and allow the Holy Spirit to lead us.